0: Thank you for joining us wherever you are. This podcast episode is brought to you by the Old Ways Actual Play Team. This actual play is performed by adults and in an adult setting. While we try hard to stick to language for all ages, listeners should know that this podcast will include mature themes and scenes. This actual play uses the Delta Green role-playing game rules by Arc Publishing. All content, including names, places, events companies and etc which may bear resemblance to entities living or dead is strictly coincidental my name is michael diamond and for tonight's game i will be your hand you're all cordially invited to a night at the opera Thank you for joining us again on another episode of the Old Ways Podcast. I am your handler this evening, Michael Diamond, and I am welcoming you back to the story of Ocel, our Delta Green game, which is now recovering from the night floors. In tonight's episode, we're going to get an opportunity to look in on each one of them and see how they are adjusting to life at home. So during this series of recordings, it's going to be a little bit less about the immediate need of an operation or perhaps another op that the conspiracy may give them, this is all about adjusting to life at home and what that means for them. And then also the people that they're close to, their bonds. So we'll get a chance to talk about them as well and then see what they choose to do. And so I'm going to start with introductions, which begin to my right.
1: Hey, it's Miranda and I play... Dr. Aaron Weber, absentee mother, a.k.a. Agent Olivia
2: Dartford.
0: Indeed. Absentee mother who is reconnecting with her daughter. And to Dr. Weber's right.
2: Hi, it's your friend Nate. I play Elliot Winters, Diplomatic Services Special Agent for the U.S. Department of State. Indeed you do. At the end of the table.
3: Hi, this is Allie, and I play Agent Joanne Hart. And... I read a book. We'll see if it goes poorly.
0: No, I would assume so. All book reading goes poorly. Last but most certainly not least.
4: Hi, my name is Tegan, and I'm playing Brett, young book, Hawking of the NCIS.
0: Mm. Yep, you've just young bucked yourself into raising a kid soon, so we'll see how that goes for you. We're going to begin tonight's story centered on Dr. Aaron Weber. Dr. Weber, it has been one week since the events at the McAllister building. It has been a week since you went and picked up your daughter and readjusting has been difficult at best. The biggest difficulty is juxtaposing your daughter's mirth and happiness and general childlike energy with all of the things that you'd seen in the night floors up to and including your ex husband and some rather strange poses in some books. And so what I want to know as we begin this home session with Dr. Weber is where do you feel like her focus would be in in that first week? What is she concentrating on?
1: Erin, Dr. Weber's for that week distraction maybe be to bury herself in work. And she's not just been gone for a kid come from her kid come on. She's been gone from work too. That is where scientists that's where she finds consistency in the world that things that can be explained and she's just playing with a lot of can't explain so getting back to work burying herself in work thing that she would probably find very comforting science has answers after all
0: it does you've only really recently moved to this area you moved for job. And frankly, the 20% pay bump that eventually came with it. So living increase is a little nicer than here than it is in New Mexico. And arguably, the school system here has a little bit more foundation underneath it. And it offers your daughter something in the way of extracurricular activities or arts and sciences that you just didn't get back in New Mexico. The biggest work you have to do home as far as work goes because the both seem to go hand in hand the fact that you don't really have a dependable person to count on when it comes to in that first week constantly having to dip out of work to pick somebody up or to make sure somebody has a ride or confirm something with the school and you really go through fits and starts when it comes to getting back into the workflow. The few days that you took off from work to have a vacation weren't a vacation at all and didn't help your stress level coming back into your office with a stack of manila envelopes and all sorts of research data that you have to plumb through. And it isn't even the easy stuff. All of the assignments that they have here or cases that they have here are stuff that requires 80% brain power. And it's something that Aaron can do normally. It's just that she spent a lot of time using all of that brain bower to not get killed or not get found out or any of the other things. So that first week is, is a pretty frazzled one for you.
1: Yeah, I could see Aaron also the temptation to push more independence onto Holly during this time would be there as well, whether it's like leaving her alone as much as possible, like while I'm getting work done or like having her take care of herself more so that I can get more done, so I can make progress, make a dent in what's been left for me because it's hard for me to juggle tending to her and also putting the brain power into that I need into work.
0: That first week gives you time to study and read into some of these cases. You probably spend that week and then the next one getting back to pedal pace when it comes to your workflow. But after that, you are able to breathe a little bit And it's good. It's good that there were no fatalities. You read the papers, of course. You listened to the news. The building blowing up was all over the news for two or three days. And then slowly and sort of inexorably, it crept back into the background. It became a page two issue and then eventually a four. And then people moved on with their lives, just like they always do. That doesn't stop your brain from still wondering about things. Before we gathered this evening, I asked what you wanted to spend your home cycle doing. Mm -hmm. And you indicated to me that you wanted to study the unnatural.
1: Exactly. Yeah, I think protecting Holly from the future is one of my motivations. And I think for me, I would do that through finding out as much as I can. And if I can use my access at the NNSA or through whatever cases I'm working on to find kind of maybe the strange bits that have come up here and there uh, or even looking more into what happened to us on the night floors. My mind would just continue to drift there and it would be like an itch that I have to scratch. I have to find the scientific, the reason why this is happening. There can't not be a reason. There can't not be a solution to this problem. And so it would be just a a nagging itch.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. So... Your bureaucracy is forty forty percent. yep. at forty percent, you'd have the ability, as you'd sort of dig in, you'd have the ability to learn a little bit more about the building that once was. I think the biggest takeaway that you that Erin gets to is that this building went through a lot of different hands before it became the McAllister. At least as the McAllister, as you would know it.
1: Yeah. And so any of those threads could be the one that would lead back to why it is the way that it is, of which I would probably pull on those. I mean, I would try to figure out what other dealings, if any, those hands were in, if they've been adjacent to or involved in any other strange occurrences.
0: Because your bureaucracy isn't slightly high enough, I'm going to ask you to roll it in this case.
1: 27.
0: Okay. So that's a success. Mm-hmm. You learn a couple of things about the McAllister building. It was designed by a gentleman named Asa Deribondi.
1: Is there any other information that I can dig up on Asa Deribondi?
0: One of the things that you begin to sort of leaf back through when it comes to Darabondi, one of the first things you see is that a fire broke out in his office in 1950, and that is sort of what leads you down a very dark path with Asa Bondi. When that fire breaks out, the fire department, of course, responds, they extinguish the the fire, but they find the body of a young girl named Isabel Sauer. Well, was five years old and she's found dead from drowning next to a washtub filled with bloody water.
1: Are there pictures of either of these people that I can find?
0: There's not a picture of the girl, of course, but there is a picture of Darabondi. Darabondi is a relatively short gentleman. In the picture that you have or that you get on record for him, he has a fifties style suit and coat over it. He's got a hat as well. He's got a broom handle mustache. Just like all the, the gentlemen in that era would.
1: Do they look familiar? Anything that I saw on the night floors or in the building at all resemble or in in the all the stuff glued to the frickin' wall. Has <laughs> anything, are there any visages of this person.
0: No, it it does not look like anything that you have seen before, unfortunately. It looks like most of the uh, additional information on Bondi is locked up in police records. Even though you have a pretty good bureaucracy skill, it does lend to the idea that you're going to need some assistance nailing some more of his records down.
1: Okay. When we left off, someone gave everyone their contact information.
0: That person, of course, is. Special Agent Elliot Winters.
1: Yes, that would be where I would go for info.
0: Agent Winters, are you going to pick the phone up
2: if someone calls you? Well, oh, of course I will. Uh, this is Winters.
1: This is Dartford.
2: Agent Dartford? Oh, what's wrong? What's gone? What, what happened?
1: I've been looking into some stuff. I need information on a person connected to the
2: place. Um, well, I'm just saying how we do it. We need to meet. You in the city right now? I have no idea where you are. Where? We need to meet. We can't do this on the phone. Don't say anything else, please.
1: Yeah, I'm I'm in the city.
2: Hmm, um, how about that park that we met at the first time? Do you remember?
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, I can I can meet you there.
2: Is this uh, time sensitive? I can meet you there tomorrow. Um, if, I, if you need it today, then uh, I'm going to have to move some things, but... I can make that happen. I assume it's important you're calling me.
1: He's dead, so... I I don't think it's that time-sensitive.
2: Oh, okay. You know what? Why don't you just tell me that? Um, How about we, uh, after lunch tomorrow, about 1 p.m.? At the same park?
1: Yeah, that's, that's fine.
2: I'll look for you around that same bench where we met that one guy. The two of you agree
0: to meet the next day. So this would be... About twentieth-ish or so from in August, nineteen ninety-five, you meet in a park, a public one.
1: I would probably wave when I saw Winters, to be honest, because we're just a couple of friends meeting in the park, so it's not shady or suspicious or anything.
2: Yeah, I've got a hot dog, and I walk over, sit down. What's 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 going on, Darford? How can I help? This is this is a little unusual. I didn't expect this.
1: Uh, well, I've been doing some research, and uh, I came to a dead end, and I uh, I thought maybe you could help me with it because the information I'm looking for is maybe locked up in police records.
2: And it's related to our thing, I have to assume.
1: Yeah, um, I found some very uh, as you know, I like to. Look at architecture. And I found some information about the guy that designed that building. Uh, his name's Asa Derabanti. Crazy story, though, there's a, a fire in his office and they found the body of a girl in there. I found a picture of him, but uh, any anything else I tried to look into was kind of behind red tape. Hmm. And I thought maybe you could cut, cut through that tape.
2: Well, I probably can. I probably can. And um, let me see if I can do this for you. You've got, you still got identification uh, that calls you Darkford, right? You, all, you still have all that.
1: Yeah, yeah.
2: I'm going to call in to local precinct. You said this is a police matter, not an FBI matter.
1: Uh, probably, yeah.
2: Okay, I'll, I'll call in to the local precinct. I'm going to authorize and name you as a special consultant doing some research on my authority through the Department of State. That should hopefully give you all the access you need to actually get a copy of the file. Would that be enough? Uh, What's Elliott's bureaucracy? Let me see. My bureaucracy is 60. Easily done for you. You make
0: a couple of phone calls and you get in touch with the right people at one of the local NYPD precincts and you you tell them what they need to hear. And they say, yeah, I have have them come down, and uh, as long as the records are not federal,
2: they won't have an issue with them doing research. Outstanding. I I really do appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, she's gonna be, She's 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 a great help on these. Ca- Her close rate is amazing. So really appreciate it. Thank you very much. Mm-hmm.
0: So for you, Weber, getting to police records after Winters makes this phone call is like all the gates in haven't opened. People let you through, they give you a temporary pass and you're allowed into police records to comb through for some rather sordid details in Ace Adirabande's life. So some things that you didn't know that you do find out, it was that day that NYPD issued, back in August 30th, 1950, and NYPD issued a warrant for his arrest immediately. Immediately after they found the body of the child, they issued that warrant. It was pretty soon after that that they discovered that Derabondi owed nearly $200,000 to a bank. They found in that evidence, still sits there in this sealed up compartment, this, this box. There's a logbook. And the evidence record, the actual paper record, that says what that book is, is haunting. It's a logbook of accounts, and the accounts aren't financial ones. They're accountings of what appeared to be work that Darabondi did to financially come clean of the money he owed a bank. And he did it in a very grisly way, much like he did to a young five-year-old girl that they found. This was not an isolated incident, and it seems that Asa Darabondi was some sort of Clearly very sick, very disturbed individual, but one who had machinations and plans of getting the bank paid back by any means necessary. But yeah, you dig deeper into the unnatural and that's what you find. Great. You bet. Uh, So for all your hard work and all the time you spend dealing with this, you do end up pushing one of your bonds away a little bit. So you get to choose one bond that you are going to take a a hit to because of this research.
1: I think I'm going to sacrifice Adam a bit this time. I think as he sees me diving back into my work completely, essentially, rather than devoting the time to Holly that I probably should be and me pushing more responsibility onto her to be more independent when she's at my house that that would lessen his view of me.
0: Okay. So for this time through you, Adam's going to take a single point decrease Um, and I am going to give you two points in a natural. Well, we're going to move camera now to Special Agent Elliot Winters who has got some machinations of his own. And Elliot, beyond the call from Dartford, beyond all of that, you had selected before game that you were going to stay on the job. So staying on the job means that you're not done with this by a long shot. You don't feel the case is really wrapped up. There are too many loose ends. There's too many things that need to be explained. So as you sat one day after work in that one bedroom studio probably doesn't have a a whole lot of luxury to it, you come to a lot of different thoughts about how you spent your time. We'll say that this is a week or two after the call with Dartford. You hadn't heard from her since then. It's gotten on now to September. Leaves are beginning to change here. The air is starting to cool. One thing that you have been dealing with for the past couple of weeks has been this gnawing feeling that something, something's going on. Something is, is working at the edges of your perception. You're not really sure what it is. So I guess give me an idea of, of how, after the events of last session you were in, how does he decide to stay on the case?
2: I do have some options. So I am in my studio apartment, staring at the wall. No decorations, except for that painting pinned up the thumbtack that we took out of the basement of the McAllister Mm -hmm. and I've pinned up a little bit of evidence in my own notes, copied evidence around it. It's not a murder board yet. I don't have any thread yet. I don't know any ties yet but I'm trying to get there. And around this painting, there's one piece of paper and it talks about uh, Abigail's dad. Just dad, question mark. And I'm thinking about, you know, he showed up in that play and he also showed up in the report. Didn't seem to be too concerned to worry about his missing daughter. And I'm thinking about that foundation. We'd gone down and did a, a quick interview and how that foundation now that I've experienced a little bit more of the McAllister building is definitely on the wonky side of the fence and I'm thinking about how Abigail's I think identification was used again from that FBI report and there weren't that many other folks in the McAllister building but I have names of them no pictures, no anything just the names of them around and I'm looking at all this and I think to myself, you know what? It's back to basic investigative training. You got to go back to the roots. And I'm just staring at the name of that of Abigail Wright's father on that note card that I have posted up on the wall. Yeah,
0: the painting is pretty striking. So there's that sort of specterish figure that stands in the middle of it, and this scene that it stands in. The entirety of the building around it is engulfed in flames. The compelling portion is not just the specter, but it's the way that Thomas painted the eyes in such a fashion where you can't really move through the room without that painting staring at you and drawing you into it and giving you the impression that it wants you to look at it. It needs your attention. As far as Abigail's father goes, Uh, You do get a little bit more information, should you so choose, uh, to investigate Wright's family. Her credit card you tracked down was used in Patience, Maryland. It purchased a pack of uh, old gold cigarettes. It looks like, at least from the picture you eventually dig up, from Maryland PD... The person who picked up her car, her credit card is just, you know, just honestly a, your average, you know, middle-aged African-American woman who probably has lived on the streets for the better part of her life. The Maryland PD didn't see any connections. They interfaced with NYPD once they found out Wright's apartment was, um, we'll just say, missing its main occupant. Um, but it doesn't seem any... It doesn't seem like there's connective tissue between the two of them. Now, Thomas Wright is sort of interesting. That's Abigail's father. He is a Nassau County police officer. And so he's someone that, as a special agent, you could get a jacket on and you could figure out what he's done. You can look through his old cases. You'd have somewhat unfettered access to being able to, you know, get. Get a little information on him. After probably a week of sorting through the available stuff on Thomas Wright, there's nothing suspicious about him. He hasn't seemingly done anything that is out of line. The only thing that you might think is a little different is he pulled every string known to man to get NYPD to look at the case and then eventually to get it
2: on the FBI's list. Is this Nassau County, New York? Nassau County, Florida. In Nassau County, New York. Thomas Wright, he's uh, he's 50 years old. Final part, I think, of this investigation will be take a little tr- ride down wherever his address is and try and get eyes on him. Mm-hmm. Not really interested in talking to him, meeting him, but I want to see him, but that's what I wanted to really check. I would expect a father who is also part of the police force to have pulled every string and done everything above board and below board to get every possible resource on that. Yeah, it certainly looks like that's true. And so when I find that out, I my, my suspicions get a little bit lessened. One thing you do get
0: a report on, you have to dig a little bit for it, but something comes your way that shows that Abigail was mugged before she disappeared. It sort of pops up on your radar as you're going through all of the different files on her. She was mugged and the police report is a little strange as far as the details of it. But the report that she gave said that the gentleman who who mugged her was older. He wore a silver robe and a mask. Now, this robbery took place about a year or so ago. The man demanded that she show him where the tunnels were. That's what Abigail reported. He didn't actually do any physical damage to her. He didn't assault her. He pushed her down. That's it.
2: That's creepily interesting. It was about a year ago then, 94? Yeah, 94 in August. That seems worth a visit. I'm sort of an old school type of investigator and operator, so... I do a lot of stuff on in person. I find even phone calls are less effective. So I'm, I'll find an afternoon, maybe take a day off after I get done with all the paperwork necessary. When you cross interagency and department lines to get a, you know, one person who has nothing to do with police into the police station as an agent, a federal agent, in the Secretary of State, it was a mountain of paperwork, Dartford you'll never know anything about. But anyway, as I'm going to make my way to wherever that mugging report was filed and try and get a little bit more information, because my my aim is to try and locate maybe wherever this happened or locate whatever these tunnels were. It's been a year, so maybe go and just to the area where this happened and ask around and see if I can find any more rumors or information about what this might be.
0: Nobody's heard about any tunnels. People direct you to like an underground railroad museum, but nothing that's credible. You don't get any additional reports of a guy walking around in a silver robe with a the mask on. After a week or so of plumbing through these records, though, you do get a phone call at your office. And it is from a contact of yours in the NYPD, a uh, officer, John Farrins. It's a guy that, you connected with probably five or so years ago and you did some interagency stuff and you probably struck up a reasonable friendship. Maybe occasionally we'll get a drink or something like that and talk shop. It's sort of part of your bureaucracy skill is knowing people. You get
2: a call from Officer Farrens. Oh Ferrens is good to hear from you. It's been a while. It's been a week. we've got to get a drink. Debbie doing all right.
0: Yep, right as rain. And uh, I agree we uh, we should get a drink. Well, what can I do for you? Well, I, uh,
2: I'd i like to handle it off the record if we could. All you got to do is ask. this a little specialty of mine. Off the record is my favorite favorite thing to play. Is this in person or we, we talk on the phone? It's up to you.
0: Uh, we should do it in person.
2: Oh, that off the record. Outstanding. Regular place, then? Regular place. Well, I guess we'll get that drink quicker than we thought. The next day, you meet up with
0: Farrens, and John looks pretty concerned when you walk into this hole-in-the-wall shotgun-style bar in New York City. The ones where the lights outside are so bright and the lights inside are super dim. There's an old jukebox that uh, is playing Bob Seger. And there's a couple of guys playing pool as you walk back. This is probably 11 o'clock on a, on a Thursday. There's no crowd. There's no rush. They don't serve lunch here unless you really know the guy behind the bar. And he'll order from the shop next door and get, and get it brought over. It smells like cheap beer. And um, the painful loss of many a heavy heart amongst the Winston cigarette smoke that wafts through the air. John is waiting for you, and he stubs out one of his cigarettes as you get closer and gestures to a bar stool.
2: Pull up, I order a Coors Banquet, as I always do with this particular establishment. I said, John, this cigar, I'll tell you what, I had a, a hell of a time about a month ago. I, I, I just do not like this Night Moves song anymore, and it used to be a favorite. It's almost a, it's a tragedy, I tell you. Uh, but anyway, you, know, you look like shit, John. What's What's going on, friend?
0: Ah, uh, I uh, they they so the caseload has just exploded recently. I used to think that the the shoe stealing thing, the gunpoint thing, was a problem. It's way worse than it is. It used to be. So we're doing a lot of um, street uh, sweeps and that sort of thing, trying to get people um, someplace safe to walk down. Um, but that's that's not why I'm here. <sighs> he takes a white card. that's in plastic in an evidence bag. And it's not a uh, business card. It's a placard card that you would fingerprint somebody on. And he so sets it across the table as your Coors banquet lands. He says, uh, this you? Pick it up and take a look at the card? I mean, you know what your own fingerprints look like. It sure
2: looks like yours. You, uh, you pull those anywhere, in particular? Yeah, a real nice house. Hmm. And internally, Elliot Winters breathes a huge sigh of relief because he was, for a second, worried that those prints got picked up from a little park in New York City from a different expedition.
0: Uh, you, you, you know, you, you know your own business, Elliot. But uh, I'm, I'm. Working an angle here to get this, um, well, expunged. They picked up a partial and then one more from some of the clothes that you must have tried to shove in the toilet or whatever.
2: Hmm. Well, you know, prints on fibers and cloth—they they hardly hold up, John.
0: Yeah, I know, but your prints as a federal agent are pretty special. They show up
2: everywhere. That's true. You know where these clothes might have been? is someplace that I'm very welcome to be at, my home. Is it possible that maybe I saw those at my house?
0: It doesn't it doesn't take a rocket science just to put two and two together. It's also possible the prints were picked up at a nice guy's place who might be fucking your wife.
2: That's, that's very possible. What I'm putting forth, though, John, for you is... The possibility that I maybe saw those and picked those clothes up in my own home, and put them down, and then that gentleman, who didn't know that I had seen and touched his clothes at my home, took them back to his house. Did you take them back through the window that you broke? A lot of kids in that neighborhood. I, I see, I see, I see tons of stickball, and it's a good, it's a good family, family place.
0: Elliot, I'm just, as a friend, I'm telling you, be careful.
2: Yeah, I appreciate that. I appreciate it. it's uh, it's possible, possible this summer's uh, getting to everyone's heads. You know, I heard this story. You heard this? Uh, kids now, are just walking down the street and they'll just just sucker punch an old an old person, put them right down on the on the on the pavement, right down. A lot of weird stuff going on. People, people are devolving right in front of our eyes, John. I don't I don't even know how to how to explain well how can I help you with this case officer
0: <laughs> I got this all wrapped up I'm just letting you
2: know that I know all right well you know what I owe you I owe you at least two hmm. at least two for this one
0: so I also heard that there was a a lady that was trading on your dime is that true
2: yeah. She's a consultant. She's looking into—I uh, think she might be looking into an arson case or something like that. It's wacky shit. Did you did you hear about that? Did you? I didn't. I don't know. I don't. I have no idea anything about that case that she's working on. It's some
0: baby killer from the fifties.
2: Oh. And is it cold? They never—they never caught this this guy.
0: It's colder than one of the, the chest freezes over there it's it's pretty cold i don't know if she's just uh shopping for subject matter
2: for a novel or what but uh no she's on the up and up she's whatever she's researching there it's 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 legit it's to help in some way christ baby killer hey i got a question for you you ever uh heard about any cat running around in a silver robe and a mask
0: I mean, there's all sorts of people in Washington Park. Oh,
2: but specifically that silver robe, mask, looking for the tunnels. Show me the tunnels. I'm, I'm looking at old, old weird case too.
0: No, not that I've, uh, not that I remember. Yeah, no, for a while there here in the city, uh, we had, um, we had those kids running around at night, dressing up like vampires, cloaks and teeth and all
2: that sort of stuff and then they were making all these weird hand gestures at people. Oh my god. These kids need to grow up. I tell you what. They just didn't they didn't get raised right.
0: Uh we had a lady uh, who called the called the cops said that there was a gangbang going on. There were four or five of them all in a circle. And they're just playing some stupid game.
2: <laughs> oh, that's a good way to get shot though. You roll up and who knows they're, they're acting all weird and you know how we don't like weird. We get a little bit itchy over weird. God. So maybe it was a game. No, I don't think it was a game because this this was part of a part of an assault. Yeah, keep looking. Jesus, Debbie, still make that mac and cheese? I swear to God, last time last time I had that, I, I couldn't. I dreamt about that for like two weeks. It was that was amazing.
0: It's because all the cheese and and, and the carbohydrates stay in your stomach for two weeks. <laughs> I hear that. I hear that. All right. Well, listen, I got to go on shift soon.
2: He downs his beer. You uh, stay clear of that guy's house, okay? Maybe I need some anger management classes, I think is what they call it. Yeah, maybe. Maybe you need to get out more, go bowling or do something. Maybe I'll dress up in a costume and go pretend I'm a vampire up on uh, Fifth Street. You fit right in, my friend. He pats you on the shoulder (laughs) and heads out. So here's what I'm
0: going to do for, for Elliot now. You decided to stay on the case. And so given the two skills that it gives me as an option, I'm going to roll your criminology. Oh, yeah. Okay. You stay on the case for another couple weeks. You've run a lot of different leads to ground. Everything keeps coming back to that painting, at least in your mind's eye. You end every night after your research, staring at that painting and you start remembering other paintings that could have been taken as well, but were left because you could really only carry one out. There has to be more to the people's lives who took up space inside the McAllister. And what you get drawn back to, especially after the building was leveled, is what happened to that lady at Art Life. What did she do once her, one of her buildings was destroyed? It's been almost a month now since the accident. I use air quotes, of course, when I say accident. So during this time of very focused, concentrated investigation into it, Elliot is going to, of course, he's going to let something lapse, something he's not going to be able to to hang on to. And that is one of his bonds. And so I'm going to have you reduce one of your bonds by one point. And you're going to tell me
2: you let lapse a little and how it affects him. So Dottie's my estranged wife. She is a bond, one of my three bonds. I think Dottie is the bond that will decrease. 14 to 13. And it will affect me. I start shit-talking Dottie to Ellie, my other 11-year-old. And you can tell me maybe if that is the more appropriate bond. I've been trying to keep The situation with Dottie, sort of away from Ellie, who is, um, that's not a a kid that I had with Dottie. But I start, this 11-year-old, I start laying a little bit of this adult bullshit stress down on this kid in a way that, you know, mid-30-year-old federal agents might do with a child. It's that bullshit now you know, Ellie, you're you're gonna you, you ain't gonna you ain't gonna grow up like one of these women like uh like this woman that I'm married to. You you won't do these things and you won't like it's that kind of shit. And it just starts. And it's something that I've always been very careful to keep. And so that starts to break through. And when I'm in my studio apartment staring at that painting, in my head I know exactly the damage I'm doing, and it's exactly what I don't wanna do. And I tell myself that I'll never do this again. And yet it just keeps slipping through. I'm losing, I'm, I'm sort of losing that discipline. You slip a little. You let the focus on other things
0: leave an opening. And in your normal sort of controlled aspect. With that said, your loss of the point of your bond and then through staying on the case, there are some potential benefits. So because you've had such a focused attention, at least it's gonna regain three sanity. It Just cost you a little bit of the relationship you had.
2: Win some, you lose some in this life. We'll
0: move on to Miss Hart, who had a uh, harrowing experience inside the Night Force, who heard the voice of her sister, only to find something small, mechanical, and not at all what she was expecting. She also, just before leaving, recovered a book and she did a little reading of that book and found some very interesting things inside of it, didn't you?
3: Yeah. there was a lot going on in that book.
0: There certainly was. So also before session, you decided that you would also stay on the case. And so I think what I'd like to know is how does Joanne do that? She's physically removed from New York City. So how is she maintaining that graph on the case?
3: I have been in my position long enough that I imagine I have a, a little pull here and there with the kind of research I would do. Okay. So I would like to kind of stay in loose contact with an FBI agent up in New York.
0: Everybody's favorite friend.
3: To kind of delve further specifically into the, the the old lady who had the book.
0: Oh, okay. So not the author of the book, the old lady who had the book.
3: Yeah. I mean, I'd like to do the author too, but... Knowing why she had the book is currently more important than who wrote it.
0: The people at the McAllister were put into temporary living quarters because of a gas leak, one that didn't exist at the time, but suddenly then did exist. So you'd have to track down from the hotel they were at where they went. How would you do that?
3: Well, I mean, I would probably call the hotel, and let them know that I have follow-up questions for that particular individual.
0: Get out of her room, finally, finally. And also, you um, managed to ferret a little book out from her apartment. Was uh, Michelle Van Fitz?
3: Call the hotel and let them know that I was part of the FBI group who was helping corral everybody out of there and that I have some backup questions and that I would like to reach out to her.
0: Okay. So when are you making this call? Is it a couple of days after a day after? How soon are you making it a week?
3: It's probably within 12 hours after I
0: land. Mm, Okay. So you ring the hotel and you ask about the people who were moved in temporarily for a couple of days and the lady behind the desk. So the response that you get from the person at the front desk is something akin to that bitch, she left already.
3: You don't happen to know where she went? Fuck no. Yay.
0: (laughs) She came down to the front desk to ask for, I don't know, something called um, Splenda. She couldn't have regular sugar. And so when I told her that we didn't have any, that all I could do was equal or sweet and low. She told me I was part of some patriarchy and that I was keeping her down. And listen, I've never seen this lady before in my life, and I just work here. I want nothing to do with her.
3: How long ago did she leave?
0: No, oh, A couple hours ago. I mean, it's one o'clock here.
3: Do you happen to know if she took a taxi?
0: Hmm... Yeah, I think she did. I don't know where she went.
3: Do you remember the number on the taxi? Did you catch that by chance?
0: You remember when I said I wanted to have nothing to do with her?
3: Okay, no problem.
0: Yeah, I'm sorry if like she's your aunt or your mom or something like that, but wow. I mean, a little, a little bit of kindness goes a long way.
3: I understand. I'll talk to her and I'll hang up the phone.
0: And doing a little bit of other research into Van Fitz, you realize something, you you get something back on your searches. She's a feminist author and one that has produced a few pieces. Okay. She writes feminist poetry, fiction, and a lot of the online forums, if they can even be called that, chat rooms and groups, when you talk to people about Van Fitz is that she has very strong opinions, and a lot of people use that B word early and often. She doesn't seem to make a lot of friends, at least in some of the writing communities. She's very standoffish, and she also tends to present her ideas as fact. The flip side for Van Fitz is her writing is excellent. It's really thought-provoking. It's very good. She is very good at what she does when she writes. She sold her first short story collection to Berkeley publishers, and she's also won awards. So she's not without merit.
3: So, in that case, probably what I'm going to do next is reach out to her publisher and see if I can get a hold of her editor and see where she might be staying in the interim since the building up blew up.
0: You get a hold of her publisher. They give you a very simple and direct that they understand that she's between places right now, but if you'd like to direct any fan mail, you can uh, to this address and we'll forward it along to her once we know where she's staying at. Um, It very quickly for you becomes a dead end.
3: Okay, well, I'll keep my notes on her and check back later at some point to see if she has, in fact, gotten a new address of where she's going to stay. And I'll definitely still be trying to get that information from her publisher at a later date. And when I know that she is established, if they ask why I'm wondering, it'll be because I'm a federal agent who needs to follow up on the gas leak that exploded her building.
0: Yeah, and if you, if you identify yourself as a federal agent, they just ask for your direct number and that as soon as she makes contact with them, they'll get in touch with you. They sort of confess that Michelle has more than a few opinionated fans. And so they do their best to deflect any incoming inquiries.
3: Yeah, but I'll, I'll leave my contact information with the publisher and just... Have them, like, hey, if you would give her a call, the sooner that I can get these follow-up questions done, the sooner that she won't have to worry about it.
0: Of course. So by staying on the case, you two are going to be focused very much on the task at hand. It means that one of your bonds is going to take a loss. So I'd ask you, Miss Hart, who is that person that's going to take that loss?
3: honestly probably my best friend I'll be putting him off in order to track down these leads I'll probably have canceled dinners or drinks or like a party at his house and I'm not spending time with him or with his wife and that's considering that we've been friends for the better part of most of our lives That's kind of a big deal I'm usually more reliable and present, and I haven't been.
0: Okay. Always an interesting choice. Now, we'll see if you learn anything from staying on the case. All right. So, you continue to research with what information you have. Not on Van Fitz, but on the book. A World Without Doors. It's a little sad, actually, the story, as you piece it all together. Emmeline Fitzroy was a child genius born to the Fitzroy pork fortune. The family controlled many of the slaughterhouses and shipping yards that made Chicago a hub for meat production. They were so wealthy, in fact, that the patriarch, Dr. Thomas Fitzroy, had a unique home built for them in the Oak Park neighborhood by the Picasso of architecture, a gentleman named Asa Derabondi. Fitzroy's house, the bizarre Bellaflor house, was completed in 1911. It has interleavened, curving, sort of odd-angled, sinuous lines throughout. It was topped by strange spires of glass and metal filigree that made it an absolute eyesore to many in the Oak Park neighborhood. Emmeline was actually born in that Bella Floor house late in the Fitzroy's marriage. She proved that every child is special, but her even more so. She spoke in complete sentences, it is said, at two. She could read and write at four. She completed her first poem by five. By ten, she had completed the equivalent of a college-level program by professional tutors who her father brought to her. She could speak six languages and had written several complete manuscripts, all by 10. Wow. Her first and only book was published on her 12th birthday, A World Without Doors. It proved to be a hit. In fact, so much so that you find through the internet that it's actually still being printed. Emmeline's popularity in youth rode the headlines for years, but eventually her star fades as it became clear that Emmeline refused Leave the Belliflor house. And she could also often be heard speaking to herself in empty rooms. With the death of her father in about 1941, she remained the only one in the house. And this is the icing on the cake for you, Miss Hart. At age 26, she vanishes from the house. She left a note that eventually police find that read, In an ending, we find the world. The play is the only thing. All else orbits it as an afterthought. I go to him now because there is no other path. And now I know there never was. After an extensive search of the grounds, her brother, Mark Fitzroy, had her declared dead in 1955. Her death is officially listed as a suicide although no body is ever found. Okay. Since you stay on the case, you gain that benefit of san, um, but you only gain a single point of sanity back. But as we say in this business, something is better than nothing. And to round out our home session, we will turn to NCIS agent Brett Hawking, who was up until very recently, I suppose basking in the knowledge that he would soon be a father. So before tonight's session, Brett decided that he was going to raise a skill. And so I guess what I'll ask is, what skill are you raising?
4: Oh, gosh. You know, Brett really wanted to work on their base, but I think they needed something even better. What they wanted to do was, if I'm only allowed to pick one, then I think Brett is going to deal with his stress by, I think they want to get better at skills they think might keep them safe. Specifically, their driving skills and things like their firearm skill. But their firearm skill is at like, it's pretty good. It's pretty good. It's at like 70 yeah, I think they'd like to try to improve those two things, or if they can only pick one, then, then they're up for either one of those.
0: You get one.
4: I get one? I think I'm gonna hit the track. There is a local racetrack, track, and they have um, they have open track nights on Thursday nights.
0: It's a rainy track.
4: It is, um, but you know what? I need to develop my skills on the ability to, to drive in the rain especially living on this stormy East Coast.
0: Oh, yeah. It gives you an opportunity with a, a wet track as the you know, rain and, and thunder pick up. And gives you an opportunity to do a little slide pad work to work on understeer and oversteer, especially with the caprice. It's what you focus on. It's a way you can deal with the additional stress when it comes to your fiancé being pregnant now.
4: It is... My vehicle's my happy place too.
0: Okay. So because you're you're putting so much focus into this the work that you're going to do by, you know, learning to being a better wheel a better wheelman, it's going to affect the time that you have with the rest of your bonds. It's your choice, but I really think that All of the all of the work at the track is really going to cut into Brett's regular gaming group.
4: Is it at least worth it?
0: Oh, that's a good question. So the way this works is um, we look at your drive, which is which is fifty percent, and then I'll I'll roll, and if it's under that, we'll add to it. Oh, that's pretty good. Yeah, that's that's forty five. That's under your drive. So what I'll do then is I will give Brett an additional eight points of drive. So it does pay off in the end. You spend about a month going through a series of not just defensive, but offensive driving programs, some with NCIS, some with local PD. And it really does give you a better familiarity with a couple of different vehicles. That said, after a month, you get word from the gaming group that they're going to go ahead and swap out games. They're going to stop playing D&D and they're going to play Shatterrun instead. And it does sound like they're going to have somebody else run the game.
4: I'm just, can I still be part of the game? Yeah,
0: of course, sure. Of course you can still be part of the game, but we, we need somebody familiar with, with the rules and there's a lot of books
4: so how how badly do I lose my connection to my gaming group?
0: It's just a point.
4: Oh. Oh, that's okay. So we we still talk, we still do things. I'm just not the GM anymore.
0: I think I have all I need. I will say at the end of this session that for all of you, before we pick up next time, about 2 months will have passed. So when we pick up next time in game, it'll be roughly mid-October. So thank you for joining us on this episode of Delta Green with our Ocell at home as we uh, prepare for the next operation. Thank you and good night.